Now we're live. People are flowing in. Where's the intro music, Brandon? You got some intro? Just said he didn't want intro music. You can't always get what you want. Chris, is that your favorite song? Or is it just... It actually is. It is. Chris Chris asked that on one of the upcoming Lightshed podcasts, we use that song. And we will accommodate him in the next couple of weeks for sure especially since he did this with us. But also that right. relates to last night's game, which um, apparently did not excite many people. <laughs> it's entertainment value. Absolutely yeah. right. We're on to uh, basketball now, as you could see. If you're a KC hater, then it was a great game or, or a, a lover of are, old are there people, people that can perform. Are there people who are actually KC haters though? Sure. I mean, really? the team, the team was kind I of guess Raiders at the AFC championship and that, that they provided a reason to, for some hate and that, that poor Tampa Bay D back got, you know, hazed for putting up the peace sign, but that's exactly what happened to him from Tariq Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> well, uh, welcome back to light shed live. I'm Rich Greenfield on behalf of Walt Pysik and Brandon Ross, my partners, we're really excited to have Simple Bet today. Uh, to me, you know, we've been spending a lot of time on Lightshed Live over the course of the last year talking about sports betting, but we really haven't kind of zeroed in on in-game uh, sports betting, and that's what Simple Bet is an expert on, on the, from the technology side. And we're very excited to have um, Chris and Joey join us. I'm going to actually do something unusual for Lightshed Live. We're actually going to turn it over to the two of them to kick us off and basically walk us through what they've built technological-wise, then we're going to come back and do Q&A. As they start to present, though, for the next, you know, call it 10 minutes or less, I've told them to keep it short. Uh, we'll see how well that goes. But more importantly, the Q&A box, use that, start submitting your questions, and as soon as they're done, we'll start going through the questions that you all have for them um, over the course of the hour. Chris, Joey, I'll turn it over to you. All right. Thanks, guys, um, and thanks for having us. I mean, obviously, we've... Uh followed you guys for a while, going all the way back to the BT, uh, BTIG days. And um, I think we're 43 weeks into the podcast series here. So I've uh, enjoyed all that and appreciate it. We you. are. I love that you know the number. I, I'm, listen, I just listened to number 43 this morning. Well done. Um, so yeah, let me, why don't we, like, like Rich said, so Joey and I are two of the three co-founders of Simple Bet which we started about three years ago. Um, you know, and we're, we're most recently coming out of the shadows here. And so there's probably a bunch of folks uh, listening in that don't know a whole lot about us and what we are and what we do. So let us, you know, spend a couple of minutes up front and we'll do a quick demo. And then like Rich said, we'll, we'll get into some Q&A. So like I said, we started about uh, almost three years ago in, in April of 18, ironically, 30 days before PASPA was repealed. And we built the company as an enterprise uh, software, uh, enterprise software company um, leveraging data to what, <clears throat> build what we describe as the future operating system of all of in-play betting and fan engagement with a particular focus on U.S. sports. And we, we started with a product that we call micro betting. Okay, so um, always get asked, like, what is micro betting? So most people will hear of, of betting and in-play betting or betting that occurs throughout the game. So it's traditional like money lines, over-unders, and outcome-based bets all of which can be bet throughout the game as the game is going on. Micro betting is much different in that uh, there are betting markets that are created 
and resulted in, in minutes or seconds. So it really has, it, it introduces instant gratification into the sports betting experience. So you, in other words, you know whether you've won or lost because you're betting on plays and drives and pitches and at-bats and shots and possessions. So we've essentially taken live sporting events, two and three hour football, baseball and basketball games, and we've enabled them to be turned into like a slot machine experience. We've, we've essentially gamified the games and it's a heavy emphasis on US sports and in particular, uh, the three big U.S. sports, NFL, MLB, and NBA, those are our three initial products that were out uh, with our enterprise software. And that right in, in and of itself allows us to offer about two and a half million markets across around 4,000 plus games, live games in 2021 alone. Okay, so just a, a little bit about micro markets. This is a, a chart about how the actual um, uh, value stream works. And so if you look at the left-hand side of the screen, obviously all the leagues are the ones that create the IP and the live events. And um, we've uh, essentially aligned our interests long-term with that of the leagues because our products um, encourage and enable um, much deeper level of engagement, right? So the leagues on the left-hand side license their live data rights to companies like Sport Radar and Stats Perform and Bet Genius, And then we license from them those official odds feet or official data rights. And then we're, we're positioned as the, the data refinery, right? So we collect the, the not only historical data, but the live incident feed that comes out of the stadiums. And then we put it into our platform. And then we ultimately sell our enterprise software solution to the consumer facing businesses like DraftKings and FanDuel and PointsBet and so forth. So we're we're positioned as an in-play pricing and operations company. So right, just to, 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 to truly just delineate that for everyone listening, you're not trying to be a sports book. I mean, that is not your goal. Your goal is to be the software that powers the sports books. That that is correct. Yep. Or a piece of the sports books. Or, yes. So what Joey's going to, you know, now we're going to go into the, the demo. We, we promised to keep this short. We'll get into, I'm sure, a bunch of other stuff underneath this. And what Joey's going to show you is, you know, a demo that this is not a consumer-facing app that we've built. This is what we show potential commercial partners like FanDuel and DraftKings and PointsBet. And we go to their chief trading officers or their chief technology officers or their product people. And we show them how the enterprise solution works and how it powers this experience and that they would plug into their uh, technology platform. So Joey, why don't you go ahead and take it from here? Yeah, sure. Um, so as Chris alluded to, this isn't gonna be a consumer facing demo or anything like that, but before I get into it, just to give you guys some context, this is the consumer facing UI of the of the technology that I'm gonna show you. So we call this market our plate appearance result exact market, where a user can make a, a relatively specific prediction on what's gonna happen in an upcoming plate appearance. So you could bet on the on-deck batter, but you could also actually live bet the at-bat where the odds on an OO count, for example, could be quite different than on a 2-0 or a 3-0 count. You'll also see that the front, the, the front end UI, uh, at least in our opinions, is considerably more intuitive than what you'll see in the market today. We deliver this as sort of a, a simple multiple choice question uh, with the payout multiples prescribed to each of the selections and those payout multiples updating in real time. Um, 
So to get over to the backend uh, technology demo, so uh, we're really going to be focused on on this first square here, uh, and and the two core features that power uh, that that really define our technology. So on the right, you see the pricing. So this is all based on our machine learning models and the true probabilities of each of these uh, potential occurrences happening. And then on the left, you see the market status. So this will either say enabled, suspended. Uh, or resulted or the market will disappear, which indicates that it's resulted. And after I press play, just pay attention to how frequently the market is enabled and how infrequently it's suspended. And this is really where we think we're in a position to really enhance the user experience around in-play betting in general, uh, not just micro betting. So with that, I'll press play. We have an OO count, nobody out, uh, Jose Altuve up to bat uh, runner at first. So here we get a pitcher ready signal, which is bet radar basically telling us that the pitcher has agreed to the pitch with the catcher. We log that it was ball one. The moment that we logged it was ball one, the market is re-enabled uh, and a user could bet again. So we trigger market suspension on pitcher ready, um, and then we automatically re-enable the market and, up and publish updated prices once we log that it's ball one. So we get a pitcher ready signal again, market is suspended we're immediately gonna log that it's ball two. So this is happening about one second of latency behind the real life event occurring. Once we log that it's ball two, we re-enable the market and we publish updated prices. And you'll see that some of the prices are already considerably different than where we started. So for example, walk when we started was 16X. Now it's down about 75%, just given it's a 2 count. So here we saw a pickoff attempt we suspended the market because we saw a pitcher ready signal. The moment we identified that a pitch was not actually delivered and that it was a pickoff attempt, we automatically re-enable the market. Again, sort of, this is a good example of how we're just laser focused on the user experience and ensuring that in-play betting markets have a maximum amount of uptime. So we get another pitcher ready signal, market is suspended. We end up having a wild pitch here. It's going to take a little bit longer to re-enable this market, given we uh, have to log that it was a wild pitch. And we also have to take into account the runner advancing from first to second. And with nobody out, um, that does actually have some uh, relevance to the pricing. Just given now Altuve, for example, may be more inclined to you know, fly the ball to deep right field and then tee up a, a, a sack fly, for example, for, for the on-deck batter. So these are all things that we're considering in real time. You'll see that the payout multiple for walk, for example, has gone all the way down to 1.77x, given that we're all the way uh, up to a 3.0 count. You'll notice strike one there. So the prices will uh, normalize a little bit as this market becomes re-enabled. And then I'll just scroll down briefly here. You guys could see some of the other micro markets that we offer for MLB. So a user can make a, a broader selection of hit out or other. Here with pitch count, users can uh, bet on when an at-bat will end as the at-bat is happening, which is a pretty uh, compelling user experience. And here, these markets were actually created, uh, suspended, and resulted uh, throughout the course of the demo where users could actually bet on every pitch. So whether every pitch will be a ball striker in play. And just to highlight, for example, pitch four, the in-play multiple uh, was 11x, which is considerably higher than what you see for some of the other pitches, just given it was a 3-0 count. Um, and just to give you some quick context on, on the historical data we're using, so we know on a historical basis for every past at bat that Jose Altuve has ever had, how frequently or infrequently he's swinging on a 3-0 count or trying to take ball four or strike one. And, and same is true with the opposing pitcher. So that's all calculated in real time and that informs this price here. 
So we see have on you the excluded fit. these years of cheating in your stats? <laughs> yeah, we um, we we do keep that into it. <laughs> we, we're it using that circle data. Whether it's a home game or a away game. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I'll stop sharing there. That's the demo. You saw Altuve grounding out on the fifth pitch. All those markets automatically uh, disappeared, uh, indicating that they've been resulted. And if a user won, they could now take that money and bet on Michael Brantley's at bat. Uh, and if they lost, you know, obviously they could, you know, take some money out of their user account and continue betting on on the next at bat. Where are the users watching the video stream? Because I I, I watch YouTube TV. Um, Rich may watch, I don't know, on Fios. Walt may watch on DirecTV. And there's different latency in all of those feeds. So how do you account for that? And where and where does one watch the, the video stream? Yeah, I mean, I you know the the latency issue. Uh, what's exciting about all this is that a lot of these um, latency issues and the speed of the data, like we get the real-time data feed by contract from Sport Radar in less than a second. And then our budget to do everything that we do is about a half a second. So it's essentially in real time and we get the, the, the data. On the, what you just described, the, the person at home, depending on where you're watching it, like if you're watching it through a set-top box, uh, you're probably six, seven, eight seconds behind where the data feed is. But if you're watching it on, uh, you know, an OTT, you're probably 20 to 30 seconds behind it on YouTube TV or something like that. And so now on, on the other hand, I think you guys have been talking about this quite a bit uh, over the podcast series, you know, about the technology challenges around latency. And if you look at a lot of these are sort of tied up with rights related issues, right? Because all of these rights have to go through the set top box world before they come out to the, the digital world. And so what's What's happening with companies like Phoenix, you guys have heard of Phoenix and their video compression technology, that is sub-second or zero-second latency. So in other words, the technology already exists for, for video to be in real time, essentially the same exact time as the data, but it has to get reset in all of these new rights agreements, the first of which uh, is coming, which is the NFL. And my guess is that this is going to be a big feature and whatever their um, outcome here is in terms of how they. I, I don't think I follow. Could, could you I don't I'm sure our listeners don't follow either. How would it actually like NFL signs a new deal? What actually happens? Like what what actually has to happen technologically for this to actually be enabled so that that issue goes away? Because to me, when I'm watching on, you know, I watch on Altice in Connecticut or Spectrum in New York City. I have a very minimal delay, right. but the issue I think is, you know, the, 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 the virtual MVPDs, or if you're using the CBS, assuming it didn't crash, like, mm. you know, which I know was Walt's issue for a little bit last night where you can't obviously see the content at all, but, but theoretically all of these digital platforms have mm. some level of delay from five to let's say 15, 20 seconds. How does Phoenix fix that? I'm not sure I understand. Because it's where you get the actual take, where you actually take the video feed from. So if you're using the video streaming like a like a Phoenix, and you're you're taking the video stream straight from before it hits the uplink, and that video stream is carried into like a special, um, let's call it a second screen betting experience, like a video feed that would put it into a single screen where you can have the betting on top of the actual video without having to go through the uplinks and the downlinks. 
that, that technology already exists. It's just a matter of apportioning how the rights fees work or how the rights allocation. Works. So, so you're saying conceptually, if there was video being piped directly into FanDuel or directly yeah. into DraftKings, you're talking, you're not talking about going through YouTube TV or Correct. any, or, or the CBS sports app. Correct. That seems like a, I mean, again, I, I guess anything is possible, but isn't, I mean, you've been negotiating rights from the first day I met you, Chris, uh, which I think is sort of how we got to know each other was sort of yep. rights management and licensing. The idea that the networks are going to like figure that out over the course of the next few months and the new contracts that come up, that seems challenging for me to believe. Do you disagree? Like, do you think that gets worked out where I get to watch live games inside of FanDuel? Oh, I think that it's all—it's just a matter of how the rights are allocated. I mean, the technology exists today for that to happen. Now, you still have a year. You got one more year left on the ESPN deal, right? And then you've got um, two two more on or a season and a half on the, the broadcast deal. I think what you're going to see on the next cycle is some specific betting feed that allows for what I just described to happen. And it doesn't get in the way of all the reach deals, meaning the big network deals and the cable deals. I think you're going to I think the NFL is in a very interesting position to be able to slice it that way. And I think it will happen over the course of the next year or two. Does that just imply, though, that if I am using the crappy um, CBS app, which is, you know, if it works, it's on a major delay that the app really or that type of betting um is is difficult to accomplish for for those types of applications because I don't think CBS is they need to get their app to work in the first place but they're not going to tighten up that latency so to the extent that I'm just I just want to bet while watching a game on my 50 inch TV not not like a you know a FanDuel version of of the game um, that's going to well, be a difficult me, thing like, to get uh, over I'll give you I mean it depends on the type of markets like so so I'll give you like we just rolled out our first products. Uh, live real money betting products on Intralot and Washington, D.C., and then we just launched another one in uh, Montana. And so in the first three weeks, okay, in D.C., okay, on drive-level markets, so in other words, a drive-level market may be open for three, four, five, six, sometimes 10 minutes, right? So even if you're eight, 10 seconds behind, it doesn't affect the user experience. And just that product alone, just yesterday, we were 21% of all of Intralot's NFL in-play handle. That's remarkable for, for a company that's been around for three weeks live in one market with no marketing. That's how sticky that type of engagement product is. Now, if you get down to play-level markets where it's happening in 20 and 30-second increments, right, and the latency bleeds to that, you know, then it becomes yep. a little more challenging. But like, for drive level markets and at bat level markets in baseball and possession level markets in basketball, it's all very doable and a very good user experience. Got it. But the bottom line, though, is that um, if I'm on a delayed feed, the app itself is not going to allow me to, um, you know, place a bet if the live event has actually moved on to the next thing. Because obviously, someone could use multiple feeds to to kind of game the system, right? It yeah, that's basically what would just go off yeah. when you hit the bet you, in it would just kick back and say sorry the play just started you'd have a you'd have what's called a bet rejection it wouldn't allow you to make that bet that's why joey showed you that demo where it said suspended remember when it hit the, the yellow button that means the market is closed so anybody anywhere can't bet on it after that market i, yeah, like, I like wonder though 
Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, Joey, like I wonder ultimately to answer Walt's question, you know, do you almost have to list out or does a fan duel or someone have to list out, hey, go over here. These are the platforms that actually have low latency versus the one that you're on. Yeah, it might it might end up being the case where I because, yeah, I mean, for the betting operators, we want users to be watching as low latency of a feed as possible. So um, but with that, but even with YouTube TV being presumably 20 seconds behind, betting on a drive is a totally viable user experience. Right. I mean, I think it's for the pitch result markets where yep. uh, and then maybe to some extent the play level markets, although, you know, even with the play level markets, there's enough match state data that you could show on the bet page that can inform the user, you know, what's happening in real time and can make them comfortable placing a bet. But, you know, pitch result markets are going to be difficult, but you know, drive level markets, even with YouTube TV is pretty viable. There's also these conditional uh, player-based micro markets that we haven't launched yet that we'll be launching next season that are even less sensitive to the current latency paradigm. So for example, betting on like the next time Dalvin Cook touches the ball, how many yards will the carry go for? That's that's a market that might be open for, you know, as little as 30 seconds if he's touching the ball on consecutive plays, or it could be open for as much as 10 minutes. Um, so stuff like that we think is going to be pretty popular for a sport like NFL. Uh, also for a sport like NBA, betting on, you know, the next time LeBron James makes a basket, will it be a two-pointer, three-pointer free throw? You know, LeBron's touching the ball a lot, but for, you know, somebody else who maybe isn't touching the ball as frequently, that's a market that could be open for five, 10, you know, 15 minutes. So, um, but yeah, the super granular stuff, we definitely need a lot of the things that Chris is describing to, uh, you know, really uh, shape out. So, I mean, I would guess the market, I mean, there's probably not that many people are pitching, betting pitch by pitch. You might be in stadium with your phone with a 30 millisecond latency. That's probably an ideal application for that. But, but if you're like, Hey, if a big hitters coming up and you want to, you know, you're hanging out with friends, you can say, I want to bet that this guy's going to get a hit or strike out. Then you probably don't care about the pitch, pitch by pitch thing. So even the latency there is probably not that big of a deal if it's, if it's batter by batter. Yeah, right. I guess it depends. I mean, there's different cohorts of users that like different types of things, right? Like slot machines have consistently outperformed most other gambling, you know, casino products. And the primary uh, benefit of, of a slot machine experience is just that really uh, strong level of instant gratification. So we think there's going to be a cohort of users that just want to be able to place bets that are resulted as quickly as possible. Then you're going to have the more casual sports fan who's going to want to place bets that are more tied to a relaxed, uh, you know, viewing experience of the game, which is where the plate appearance markets will probably be more commercially viable. But yeah. it really depends. I mean, I, I think there's going to be several different cohorts of users here. This wasn't, you know, this was built predominantly for the casual sports fan, but we think the, you know, the, the gambler who's going to want as many gambling opportunities as possible will also have this product resonate with them. Chris, what do you think happens with the NFL rights deals? And to what extent do you think sports betting and especially this micro sports betting gets contemplated in the rights agreements? Um, well, I think, um, you know, the NFL, right, they were pretty patient. They they are what you would call the fast follower here, right? They, um, you know, they let MLB and NBA were out, were out in front, right? dealing with all the legislative stuff and, you know, the NFL, I'm sure was working that angle, you know, the, the NBA and MLB set up their AGO programs, right. They're authorized gaming operators. Um, you know, so I think the NFL really took their time and studied the market. And so I think it's going to be a very big part 
of this next set of uh, of rights agreements where I, you know I could see every all of their media partners rather than having one exclusive partner like they currently have for data with Sport Radar because the Sport Radar deal ends too they've made all that coterminous with the media rights deals so my sense is that a lot of what's going to get packaged is each media partner would you know potentially have their own betting feed second screen betting feed so instead of getting you know one payment from Sport Radar they're going to have five or six different packages and they're all going to have their betting feed rights, whatever they are, and that's going to add up to a lot bigger number. And then, you know, they'll have that, that uh, we were talking about earlier, some of those technological changes on, you know, on the video streaming and single screen experience side. And then remember too, Brandon, like the, the size of the package, you know, they've increased, they put 17 more games in there. So it's a bigger, it's just a bigger package now and it's must have programming. And so, you know, they're going to, you guys have been talking about it. They're going to, be in line for a fairly sizable increase from where they are today and then some. And I know the rights deals don't come up. I guess NHL is up now. It doesn't sound like you're doing anything with, with the NHL, um, at least right now. But even NBA, MLB, is there a chance to kind of work things out from a betting perspective before the next deals come up? Um, well, they're all in their own way um, you know, investing in and being pretty aggressive in this area. And, you know, I think at, at a high level, Brandon, this whole new cycle, right, is is really, um, you know, I think going to be totally alter the future of how media rights are sold. So NHL is going, NFL has got all their packages, NBA is 2025, I think MLB is, is working on doing something. Uh, I think it's the 28 uh, with their three partners. You know, you've got uh, all the, a bunch of the college packages coming up. So a lot of this stuff is going to all get reset. And what it's going to do at a high level, I think, is take stuff that's been sealed inside of the MVPD system and it's going to put it everywhere. So as you guys have been talking, the, the bundle will continue to melt, but there's still going to be 50, 60, 70 million people paying for TV. And then the other side on the direct-to-consumer and the virtual MVPDs, that's the part that's got to grow, right? And so that interactivity, once you get into over the top, where you where you have this ability to have a more two-way, more a, a better user experience with the with the, the UI and the UX, I think is really where a lot of value is going to get created. And, and sports betting and fan engagement products are going to be right smack in the middle of all of it. Do you think there will be dis discrete packages for um, streaming? within a sports betting app or book. I do. Yep. I think that's where it's all, where it's all going. Yep. When you look at the different platforms, um, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, uh, Barstool, Penn, um, do, do you, do they all look at in-game betting the same or do you notice meaningful differences in terms of how each of them is sort of thinking about micro bets? You know, that's a great question. I think they they all, like DraftKings, every earnings call talks about the U.S. market and the opportunity, you know, with, with in-play. And I think everybody's got their own version of, of what in-play is, right? So in-play, if you look over in Europe, right, where um, it's about 70% of the handle over in Europe and sports betting is in-play, but it really is money lines, over-unders, outcome that move throughout the game. Micro markets, as I explained earlier, are 
discrete moments throughout the game that are so it turns it into more of a, a slot machine. I think depending on the the operator that you just you know that the you know the handful that you just went through, I think they're at sort of different ends of the spectrum about where they actually want to play in in play and micros. But a lot of them have like you look at what's going on between the two big guys, DraftKings and FanDuel. They're into vertical integration, right? They're they're essentially DraftKings bought SB Tech and they're going through their integration. The you know FanDuel is moving off of IGT and they're trying to do a lot of their tech in-house. Barstool and Penn, you know, you see a lot of uh, of work on the engineering side with with an emphasis on all these sportsbook to get live wherever they have market access. So. Um, even though they want to get to these new opportunities and this product innovation, they just have a lot of other priorities, which makes it in the short term more difficult to, you know, to get these types of products out to the market. But it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And I think we're, you know, we feel like 2021, a lot of this is going to start to happen, certainly as you get into 2022, especially in 2021, since a lot of people, a lot of fans can't get into stadiums. So this is a great way to stay very engaged and connected to your fan base. Through, through products like this. Uh, maybe just walk us through, because I think people may not be aware. So I tweeted out, or I tried yesterday, your product during the game. I'm just going to bring it up. Uh, but you want to just walk people through, um, you know, what they're seeing here, just so they have some idea of what you did last night for the Super Bowl, Joey? Yeah, sure. So the, the FanDuel product. So we're live for real money betting in two jurisdictions right now. So we launched in Washington, D.C. Uh, for the beginning of the NFL playoffs. Um, and as Chris alluded to, we've quickly become already 20 to 25 percent of their total NFL in play handle, which is super encouraging. And then we launched in Montana with with the lottery there. Um, we launched with them for the Super Bowl. Um, but Montana is a little bit different because it's a it's a retail focused state. So you can't actually bet from your couch. You you could do mobile betting, but you have to like be at a designated sports bar or do it on a kiosk. So it's not as great of a user experience. Um, and you know, obviously, we're we're very hopeful uh, that eventually mobile betting in, in America will be uh, the standard and, and will be ubiquitous. But in the meantime, uh, FanDuel took a free to play version of this experience, and not just the odds feed that we integrate, sort of as like a basic API integration with, that we did with the DC and Montana lot. But they actually let us build the entire uh, consumer facing experience and, and the game mechanics where we're effectively a consumer of our own API feed. Um, and they've branded this product as FanDuel Play Action. And it's the first time that users can make predictions around every play and every drive of an NFL game in real time. So you're betting on whether the next play will be a pass or a run, whether the next play will be a first down or not, even offering really long odds on whether the next play will be a touchdown or not. And then, you know, the core market that we're getting the most activity on is live betting a drive as the team is driving down the field. So Tom Brady starts the drive on his own 20, and then he's driving down the field. You're predicting whether it'll be a touchdown, field goal, punt, or turnover with the payout multiples changing in real time as every play happens. So FanDuel, so, so that FanDuel experience has been available in all 50 states, um, and we've seen really incredible results. So a little bit over 100,000 people have used the product with pretty much no marketing from FanDuel. And just on the last NFL, 
um, Sunday slate of games, the average user bet uh, over 80 times uh, across those games. And we've been seeing, you know, a little bit over 50 bets per user per NFL playoff game. Um, so it's it's a best in class fan engagement experience at the very least. And then with, you know, DC and Montana, we're demonstrating that the machine learning powered pricing is also effective. So, um, but that that's what you're using on FanDuel. Hopefully you'll be able to use the real money betting experience, you know, within the next couple of years as well, mobile I, betting rolls. The reason I wanted to bring it up is just because I think it sort of relates to Walt's earlier question. Like I was using YouTube TV last night to stream the game and the simple bet on the FanDuel play action, I thought worked great. Like I didn't have any issues. Uh, I mean, again, betting plays and obviously, you know, football is a little slower than, than baseball uh, pitch by pitch, but but it worked great. I mean, I had no issues um, using it and the, the responsiveness and resetting uh, worked great. Great. Yeah, no, it's, it usually, I mean, we, we collected some really interesting da- data over the September through January when, when we had it live on FanDuel. Like, like Joey said, I think about 28.8% of all of our users on the FanDuel app were on there for an hour or more. Okay. And we had about 11% were on for two hours or more. So you had some really heavy, sticky users because every quarter of every NFL game was its own contest where you could win cash prizes. So we saw a lot of behavior. So as an example, like on the Sunday slate, 63% of all the users were betting on multiple games. Like talk about a tailor-made product for red zone or Sunday ticket. You have people going in and out of games, right? And I think if you can imagine like that, like the, the single screen experience we were talking about earlier with low latency betting feeds, that's a killer product right there because you have all those people that are jumping in and out of games and bet discovery is a really big thing here. Like, like we were, we were showing baseball earlier. What if, you know, I was out and I got an alert on my phone. My favorite player is Aaron Judge. Well, Aaron Judge is coming up um, to the plate with a runner on second in the bottom of the ninth. Click here and you can go right to the game and make a bet. It's surfacing. And this is where the operators like FanDuel and DraftKings, because they have the data on everybody and, and they know what I like and what I don't like. Where If you serve me that bet, all right, in real time, that I'm more likely to place a wager on that if I have an account with them. I mean, so bet discovery and marketing and and where you know where uh, people discover these opportunities will be a really key over the next year or two. If we go back to some of the prior Lightshed lives that we did at um, Pen Gaming, DraftKings, FanDuel, whatever. I mean, there was this kind of belief that a high mix of their bets were already um, you know in-game betting. I think at the time the concept was, and maybe I'm wrong. Um, about whatever lines that are moving as opposed to the micro betting. So if this obviously, if the technology works, blah, blah, blah. Um, do you see this being, first of all, what did they, didn't they all say like 50% or so was in-game betting? They, they definitely all have all said that there's upwards, right. you know, that there is a large amount of betting that occurs while and that the was like going on. this but, micro betting, like, you know, play by play, I believe. So if this, this is obviously can create excitement. Um, where do you think that mix ends up going? As this get enabled, as this gets enabled in all these apps, I think so. Joey, what did we see in the in the New Jersey numbers? New Jersey in December was almost a billion dollar handle. Yeah, almost a billion handle, and and mo- I think like ninety two ish percent was all digital. I don't remember the exact in play percentage of that, but I think the best benchmark is look at what's happening or what has happened already in the regulated mature markets in like the UK, for example. You're already seeing seventy to eighty percent has consistently 
you know, every year been on in-play betting. And that's predominantly on soccer, which is a sport that's not even as good for in-play betting as NFL, MLB, or NBA, because soccer is a, is a fluid game without a lot of discrete in-game moments and not a lot of scoring. And, ne- and nevertheless, it's already, you know, a, the, the lion's share of, of sports betting handle is coming from in-play. So but what is um, the in-play for soccer then? Is it just the line moving because yes, a yeah, team so, seems more dominant in terms of possession? Yeah, so or Arsenal and Chelsea are playing and let's say Arsenal's the underdog. So they'll start at like plus 150 and then let's say they score a goal and now they're the favorite, then they'll move right. to like minus 150. But the key difference is that bet that you're placing still is based on the outcome of the game, right? So <laughs> that's not resulting until, you know, an hour or two out. And that's what you're seeing with U.S. sports, too, like the 50 percent number, whatever it is so far today, you're still betting on, you know, Tampa Bay was the slight underdog before the game started. It was like plus 140 ish. And then they're quickly the favorite. And now you could take a minus 250 line on Tampa Bay in the second quarter. And but that's still not resulting until, you know, 1030 p.m. Eastern time. Right. Right. what, so, what we've so done now putting- is we're you're, now now you actually have real instant gratification to the experience where you're placing a bet and it's resulted in just minutes or seconds for the first time. In terms of you know what we think this we we don't know what you know how big this could be right like I I personally feel like micro betting will be the predominant way people bet on sports in America just because we're moving to a culture that's just really focused on instant gratification. You know, a 10 minute YouTube video is too long for a younger generation. They need a 10 second TikTok video, right? We're, we're that that's the type of consumer behavior that we're seeing even outside of this industry. Um, and we think micro betting is, is very well positioned to take advantage of that. So, so volume does can move the lines. Obviously it can change the VIG in terms of the book that you're looking at. I can see like a pitch by pitch type of thing. It's based on the stats of that player. Um, but if this catches up in personnel or in popularity, excuse me, I'm watching a football game. Everyone's in love with Brady that he's going to score a touchdown here. And then all, all the book is coming in on him scoring a touchdown. Like how is the technology going to be able to handle that in terms of, of moving, moving those odds one way or another in yes. mid game? It seemed like it'd be highly reliant on technology. Yeah, for sure. So we started actually with just a true probability based approach um, to enable this to exist. Cause as you can imagine, like even if you look at the, at the market that I demoed for you. It's a seven selection market that's yep. open for about one or two minutes. So even with you know many millions of dollars of liquidity on that one market, it's going to be hard to sufficiently balance a book on a seven selection right. market. So couldn't that put some of these books at risk though, if a lot of money comes in on one side for whatever reason, and it just goes against whatever the odds are that, that, that the algo is that's why out. we Yeah, that's why we, we invested so much time and money into ensuring that our probability focused approach and and our machine learning models and our and our system was just ready to go for prime time. Right. I just think about like those ESPN lines where it shows like 95% chance of probability and then like two players late two plays later all of a sudden it drops to like 35 35% and if your book's not balanced you know, that, that could put that book at a serious risk, right? If everyone's betting the long odds when you're at 95% prob. Yeah, sure. And and operators are currently facing that challenge even with their existing betting markets. Just because these these markets have such a tight time frame, 
it's just going to be hard to to balance liquidity on a you know non-binary market that's open for such a short period of time. With that said, we want to use machine learning and automation to eventually get into more of this risk management as a service business. But right now, the the vision is you start by forecasting the probabilities. You need to have confidence in those probabilities. You put a seven and a half or ten percent projected margin on top of it, and then you know to whatever extent your actual PNL converges with your projected margin, that that's what measures the effectiveness of the pricing. And so far, it's been profitable pretty much every week. Um, okay, just, well, just one last question. Has there been yeah. any evidence of someone like taking the info provided by these lines, create an algo the other way, and then they have their own view on where the odds should be and then feeding the bets in into to the platforms that are using it? I mean, it seems like this is kind of an opportunity for a little... Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, so one of one of our strategies is whenever we're coming up with a new betting market, we, between our product team and our machine learning engineering team, basically sit down in a room and think of all of the possible exploitation opportunities yep. that a sharp hunter could take. So, like for you know the, or, the example or, or that, a Reddit mob. <laughs> or a Reddit mob, exactly. This is not a Reddit mob. This is someone scraping data. <laughs> sorry, and sorry. Using what they think are better odds to move bucks, right? I mean. Right. And there's more of an opportunity to do that, though, for, for a betting market that's been open for several days. Um, and there's a bunch of other in, information that, you know, users can analyze versus a plate appearance market where the probabilities are changing yep. in real time. And it's very difficult even for, you know, a bot to really understand, you know, what the actual changes in probability should be. Our entire business, we've invested millions of dollars into solving this specific problem to ensure that this specific opportunity to exploit a micro market will not happen at scale, right? So, um, you know, we've built our entire business around ensuring that this works. So we actually have a question from the audience um, from Josh, who wants to know about the value of league data and and how micro betting affects it. So I'll read the question from him. He says, if you pay sports radar for the data and sports radar in turn pays the leagues for the rights to use their data, how much do the leagues make off of this currently? And do you expect that over the time the league, over time the leagues will extract greater share of the handle slash win? on a micro bet. I would think the league's data is more valuable slash indispensable for a micro bet than for simply betting on the end of a game, the result for the end of the game. Yep, I mean, uh, you recall at the top of the um, session here, we showed that value stream and it started with the IP rights holders in the leagues. And you know, before uh, we started the company, like I, obviously I know the leagues very well and lots of their owners and. I spent a lot of time with the leagues really trying to understand pre-PASPA how they were thinking about uh, you know, sports gambling. It was pretty clear that there was a big opportunity there. So we, we built the, our business aligned with the interest of the leagues, knowing that some version of what's played out was gonna play out where their data, especially live data, because you can't prosecute the micro markets opportunities without having the official live data. It's, it's that simple. And so, we don't actually pay the leagues. We pay their official provider, in this case, Sport Radar. So, we, so Sport Radar has deals with all the leagues in North America. And they pay the leagues and then they get the right 
to redistribute that data to media companies and sports books. And so they have direct deals with all the sports books, which are our customers. And we essentially pay Sport Radar some fees to have the right to use that data. But really what happens is um, they, they are charging the sports book a percentage of the handle. And we sort of ride on top of that and pay fees in addition to, to that. So the league, the league has their relationship directly with Sport Radar and they get paid that way. So is sports radar kind of double dipping when it's a micro bet, if, if I hear you co- correctly? Uh, I wouldn't say double dipping. I mean, they, you know, that's part of their commercial arrangement with the sports books. No, but what I'm saying is they're charging the sports books and then they're charging you on top of it. Uh, yes, we, we pay some fees on top of that for the access to the right to the, to the actual live official data. That's correct. Right. So they make more if it's a micro bet. Yeah, I mean, they just they want people engaging with the data and generating revenue, right, and consumption off of that. They're going to get they're all going to get paid. Everybody wins. Right. But I mean, conceptually, just to the question that Josh asked, just like we've seen sports rights escalate dramatically over the course of the last 20, 30 years, it would make sense that if sports betting takes off, especially micro betting take off that the cost of sports radar, not to simple bet, but the cost of sports radar of that data clearly is going to go up meaningfully over the course of the next decade, just looking at the value of that data. Correct. The the IP rights, in this case, the live data feeds, and even historic, are going to increase in value, no question. And we think what we're doing will accelerate the increase in value for specifically the live official league data, because you obviously can't build what we've built without the lowest latency possible data feed. And that lowest latency data feed is only available through the official league data. Right. So if, I, if I'm the leagues, I love simple bet being rolled out by the FanDuel's and DraftKings and others. Correct. It makes uh, their official league data more valuable. And then also, I think more importantly, the, the fan engagement implications are pretty profound as well. Uh, I wanted to come back to, we have a question that's also come up on on the UI, UX of sort of like what consumer is seeing. You know, how important do you think the UI will be? Are they all going to, is everyone who's playing around with in-game, uh, do they all look the same? Does it really matter? Uh, and then I guess a related question is just, you know, betting on TV screens didn't work in the UK. Like I know you brought up, I think Joe, you brought up the UK. Like, it, you know, Sky. You know, originally Skybet was like you bet on the Sky with your TV remote, and it seems like this is all sort of moved over to to phone based betting. Is that what you see playing out in the US, or do you think ultimately it does move back to the TV? Because it it seems harder to imagine doing in game betting on a big screen with sort of clunky remotes and all of that. Yeah, I think, I mean, for right now, definitely it's, it's a primary second screen experience. And, you know, I mean, listen, uh, Joey, right, who really is the, the inspiration to, you know, starting the company, he was a previous founder of a daily fantasy business called DraftPod and it was all built around simplification, right? So the, the reason that we named the company SimpleBet was, you know, there's all the, it, who the hell know? I don't even know how to bet plus 250 and minus 180. It's like, it's very confusing. And so the UI UX, that experience, that simplified experience, you know, is the, is the core proposition. Like, so even though we're, we're selling a technology and it's an API integration, that front end, right? Our customer has to make sure that front end really is simplified. Otherwise it sort of defeats the purpose, right? So 
the UI UX that we showed you earlier that you put up on the screen that we we actually built that one for FanDuel. So that was just embedded in their uh, consumer facing app. And we can do similarly with real money betting partners. We can we can also like this is just what Joey was showing earlier. And, you know, this is a really critical piece because we think that what really has been missing is in the whole entire ecosystem is the casual fan. Like a casual fan can actually not be intimidated by this UI UX here, as opposed to the spreadsheet approach that a lot of the operators currently have to what we call micro betting. And so I think, you know, this is a, a big, big piece of, of bringing, you know, the, the intuitiveness into the market. Ahead, Joey, you can probably chime in on this. Yeah, I mean, so as Chris alluded to when we first started, um, the vision, we thought the primary value prop was to uh, make the sports betting user experience a lot simpler and more intuitive for, for casual fans. Uh, you know, I, I used to say we, we tried to be sort of like like what Robinhood did to day trading in terms of making, you know, E-Trade, Fidelity, Vanguard, a less intimidating UX for like that millennial generation. We felt like somebody was going to do that to the mobile sports betting market. And that's why we started the company even before PASPA, because we felt like there was a global opportunity to do this, maybe less of an opportunity because money lines over unders totals are, you know, kind of intuitive to the global audience, just because sports betting has been around for a while. But, you know, we had the thesis that there were still a lot of people that didn't bet on sports yet, because it's not intuitive to pick up you know, bet three, six, five, see a bunch of tables, lists and grids, see a plus 175 and immediately understand what that meant. Right. So the initial vision was basically to take that Aaron Judge UI that I just showed and and and, and just enable that for the existing sports betting markets and, and then also in play betting markets, too. When PASPA was repealed, we basically we, we had already developed that user experience that I showed you. And we went to BetRadar, BetGenius, and some of the other traditional odds providing services. And um, we were looking for an API feed to plug into that, U that UI that I, that I just showed to enable that betting market to exist. And once we realized that nobody really built the, the technology infrastructure to enable micro betting, did we then you know, sort of pivot the business into a, just a technology company that leverages data to build uh, micro betting uh, for US sports? Um, but with that said, we now now that we've built that out, we want to work very closely with our customers to ensure that the user experience that we were initially setting out to build ourselves is something that their end consumers have. And one of the, the great benefits of being a B2B company is we get to focus exclusively on just product development and product innovation. While all of these other operators, you know, since Passport was repealed about a little over two and a half years ago now, have been focused on state expansion, customer acquisition, and pretty large-scale M&A. Um, so we've built the technology infrastructure to enable an automated algorithmic approach for in-play betting, starting with micro betting. And now we want to be able to even embed these user experiences within the sports books. It, it should almost be available. I, I don't know if it's going to be a standalone app, but at the very least, like, you know, when you go on DraftKings Sportsbook and you click on Blackjack and it redirects you to a dedicated user experience, it should almost look like that. And that's sort of what you see with the FanDuel experience now. Can we go back to your... Oh, sorry, Chris, go no, ahead. No. Were you going to say something? Uh, I was just going to say, as just to carry that one step further in terms of the casual fan. I mean, that's what's so exciting about this is the, this is where sports rights and sports gambling are colliding, right? So points bet and NBC and ESPN and Caesars, Penn and Barstool. You see all these media companies, Fox bet and Flutter, the, the reach that all these media companies bring to these sports betting partnerships 
that's now going to make this more accessible to the casual fan. That's why we think a lot of this is going to accelerate very quickly. And certainly the regulatory environment has worked that way over the last year or so. So all this in mass is coming a lot faster than people thought. And I think it's going to get to the casual fan much sooner than people think. So, so in your initial presentation, when you showed the data providers, I think I recall there being two or three radar genius or whatever. Um, That's perform, yeah. And you were, then you were talking about like how they love the NFL or whoever loves you because you drive up the value. But shouldn't these sports, these three, shouldn't they effectively get commoditized? Like what, what is, what's the difference between sport radar stats perform betching? Are they, do they each monopolize one individual market or, or like, shouldn't that just be commoditized, I guess? Well, I mean, sport, they, these at the heart of it, right? They're technology platforms and sport radar, right? Has built a, you know, a really high first class technology platform and delivers the, you know, the speed of the data and the way they deliver the data is, is really superior, right? So in order for us to do what we do, we have to have access to a high quality betting feed. And, you know, not only do we get the, you know, the basic stats, but now NFL is a good example, right? They're adding in next gen stats where, you know, speed of players and, you know, all the other, um, you know, incremental ways that they cap capture data. I mean, you have to have a really robust technology platform, you know, bet genius, right? Just, you know, they just did their deal there. They're a couple billion dollar company now investing in technology. So, so they definitely provide, I think, a real value to the ecosystem. But would you use all three? Or I mean, you just you just uh, said very positive things about Sport Radar. So like, why not just use them? And Bet Genius can. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it matters on where they have the rights. Like Sport Radar has basically got gotcha. North American sports covered. Bet Genius has a lot over. So Europe. it's just a matter of which market these guys individually. Really yeah, like Bet Genius for Bet Genius, for example, has like the the official rights to like NASCAR, for example. So if we wanted to build a product around betting on like the next five laps of a of a NASCAR race, we would have to use Bet Genius data. So, so, so have to some extent, it's it, sorry. Go ahead. No, have the sports leagues themselves given one or you know a uh, exclusive, or do they ever say like, okay, Sport Radar, you can have my pitches as well as stats stats perform. Yeah, no, they they do uh, co-exclusives. Um, what the what the like a couple of leagues did was they did co-exclusives with like Sport Radar and co-exclusive. I mean, that's not exclusive then, right? They're giving it to two yeah, different people. Correct. Okay, so yeah, wouldn't that UK commoditize that, that? That that that's a great word to get them to pay more money. I guess co-exclusive. <laughs> but like, wouldn't that commoditize the two if they're both getting the same stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still pretty early in the way. Okay. I mean, we'll see how this plays out over the next cycle here. But you know, NFL, I'd be surprised if they're if they continue in an exclusive sport radar relationship. We'll see because I think they're going to bake them all into the the, the rights deal. But but and I don't is there know. and is there any demand for anything beyond the kind of big sports? Like, can I bet on like the squash match at that pen and just see like who's going to get the next point? You know, in order for us to like, in, in the answer is yes, but we, we haven't invested in those uh, in our micro markets in those products because in order to do our type of product, you have to have a real robust set of historical data. And then it has to be um, twinned with this really high quality live uh, data feed. And so when sports like squash, that doesn't that's not really doesn't exist. You know, the, the one that's interesting to us, and we don't have products there yet, will be college, college sports. Obviously, they got all They're, kinds. But the, but the high-profile televised college sports, obviously, right? Yeah, no, I'm talking about football and, and well, basketball. Why didn't you mention golf? I'm surprised you didn't mention golf. What are the odds on Michigan this year, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> Michigan's uh, good golf, this year. Yeah. 
Golf rich. If they ever play again. <laughs> you, know, you, uh, you, you guys brought back Harbaugh. I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. We're talking football. Brand likes not, to focus not on, us. The, on the basketball I'm not a Wolverine, team. But, but I root for the Wolverines. The basketball team is awesome okay. this year, though. It's yeah. like top five team in the country. Yeah. So there is demand, obviously, but beyond, I, I consider them kind of the primary sports extended, right? So when you get beyond football and basketball college, is there a market for broader sport? I mean, squash was obviously an exaggerated example, but like, is there other kind of non-traditional sports on, at the college level that are, that are, you're seeing any demand for? Uh, I, say that. I mean, I would put that in the category, the media term of long tail. I mean, those are like gotcha. long tail. Okay. Okay, so uh, and maybe as a final sort of topic to get to is sort of where do you see the evolution of the last piece of that slide that Joey just had up? Um, obviously, we've got two juggernauts in FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, Penn and Barstool just opened up their second state and last week said they'd be in, I think, 10 states by the end of 2020. Bet MGM is obviously gearing up and brought over Ryan Spoon and, and did a deal with the athletics. So like, it seems to me like there's two major players and two others that are really coming in hard. Obviously there's points bet and bet 365. Um, and then you've got companies, you know, like Fubo, um, you know, buying in and buying victory and saying they're going to, you know, sort of be um, nationwide with, with in-game betting as well. Is this sort of like, top two or three take basically most like most of the internet or, you know, do you think that this is actually going to be, you know, 10 to 15 major players? Like how do you see the space evolving? You've both looked at it for a while. Uh, you know, I would say it's probably somewhere in between the two and the three and the 10 to 15. Like I could see there being some regional breakouts too. Like obviously FanDuel and DraftKings and mobile, you know, you mentioned BetMGM, right. You know, you've got, um, Bally's just did their, their deal, their vertical integration deal. So I think, you know, my, my sense is that if, when you say long-term anywhere, two to five years, right. Um, you know, customer acquisition is an expensive business, right? There's only so many that are going to be able to play at that. And so we think our product actually is a customer acquisition tool. And so they'd be better off spending a bunch of, of resources with us and not spending yeah. like your, like your DraftKings and FanDuel, you're spending to $300 million in customer acquisition costs a quarter. Um, so I think it probably is somewhere in between in that, but I, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and, you know, one of the things that we get asked a lot is, do you think the players that are kind of dominant in sort of game results, uh, sort of the, the current business are the same players that are dominant in game? Like, do you think consumers basically go to one destination for everything that they're betting, or do you think that there'll be separate players or separate separate players for different forms of sports betting? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think what you see a lot of, we hear a lot, uh, you know, with all the operators, right, as they're, as they're in their customer acquisition is getting wallet share, right? Like, it seems unrealistic to me that as a customer, I'm going to have accounts with six different operators, right? So I think it's going to, you know, all of them, are, are looking to get, you know, to acquire customers and then move them around their various products, right? Sports betting, iGaming, daily fantasy, it's all within the same wallet. So I think having that sort of technology platform where you're, you know, that's sort of under the hood a little bit, but I, I think that's where um, ultimately they'll have to satisfy the user, like have everything that user wants, whether it's traditional core markets or micros or some combination of both. I think that's where it goes. 
Right. So it, it would stand to reason that the players that already have a large advan- or a, a large head start in existing sports betting are going to be advantaged by entering in-game betting because they already have the same customer versus upstarts. I mean, you know, again, I was just listening to, um, you know, the Fubo victory story and they're talking about how they're going to dominate the in-game market because they've got the live games the way a YouTube TV does. And it just, again, it just seems hard for me to fathom that there's a difference the, it's the same betting customer. Maybe there's some additional casual customers, but it feels like it's all the same market for once you've got a better, you're going to try to offer them as many ways to bet as possible. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, is there, you, you did your first deal with FanDuel. Um, is it possible for you to do deals with many different companies? Or do you think like if you're with FanDuel, a DraftKings isn't going to want to do something with you or vice versa? No, we don't, we don't see that. I mean, I think these guys are all going to be competing on, you know, their customer acquisition and their technology platforms and their marketing. You know, we're, we're like, we're, we're Switzerland. We want everybody to be in the micro betting business and they're going to win on, you know, their customer acquisition and their technology and the product offering. And, and do these free to play games matter at all? This sort of just straight gamified. I mean, uh, you know, M- MSG Networks is doing one now on MSG Go. Obviously, Fubo made the acquisition for that. Is it just a sideshow until oh, there's Fox? Fox Bet has the Super yep, Six Fox on Sunday Bet, afternoons. Yep. No, I think free to play is a, a terrific fan engagement tool, especially you know you're what you're 25, 24, 25 jurisdictions. There's still a large percentage of the country, especially the big states, where you can't bet real money. So. This is your way to have an engaging, a fan engagement platform. In fact, we're seeing a lot more interest or a lot of interest right now directly from uh, media rights holders and the leagues and teams themselves. They want the fan engagement aspect of it. And it's a great customer acquisition funnel eventually to take free-to-play customers and funnel them over to real money betting. So uh, before we go, I, we get... Um... I want to just ask that we got one last question came in from the audience uh, from Andrew asked. So is SB tech trying to compete with them with SB tech? Can DraftKings go at this on their own? Uh, well, DraftKings bought SB tech and they're now integrating them into what are they called? Joey uh, DraftKings technology. They have a whatever they. Yeah, I don't know the brand they're putting around the platform, but yeah. basically they're they're on Canby now and they're currently in the process of uh, migrating their entire platform to SB Tech. And the benefit of that, obviously, is they control the entire product roadmap now versus SB Tech servicing hundreds of different clients globally, right? I can't ask him back the question, but I assume the question is, can they compete with you? And I think that's, I think does buying SB Tech enable them to compete with SimpleBet or do they still need to use SimpleBet to do in-game betting? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. And right now, no one... Our, our secret sauce is our automation, right? That was what Joey showed you, the, the market mechanics of creating bets, suspending them, repricing them, resulting in them all automatically. You know, it's taken us three years and $50 million to do that. I mean, it's really complicated. So could FanDuel and DraftKings um, eventually want to do that? In They could, but they'd have to do what we just did over the last three years. And it's really hard and really complicated. And they got a lot of their priorities. Uh, you guys have been great. Thank you for showing us the technology. I think we're all going to be seeing a lot more of this. Uh, and if everyone listening, if you want to kind of get an example of it, um, you know, I th- think what, where are they going to next find? What, what, what other sports can they play the play action on going forward? 
Yeah, we just uh, on FanDuel, we just rolled out our NBA version of that. So it's called NBA in play. In fact, we're about five or six weeks in and we're already getting really high user engagement. And that's where you can bet on shots and possessions and so forth. And then so everyone in in any state, no matter where everyone is, they can go tonight, download FanDuel and they can experience the free to play version of the NBA in game. Correct. NBA. And then we have MLB ready for opening day and MLB on FanDuel. And, but you'll also see that in D.C. and Montana on Real Money Betting on Intralot. We'll have all those products out for Real Money Betting, too. Just, just don't use the CBS app is what we're told. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it works for us. I mean, you laugh. Uh, but it's the start of the Super Bowl and the whole thing crashes. It's a joke. Like, how are you not prepared for that? Uh, I just had to bring Especially I knew that was when you're, him. you're spending all that money on Paramount Plus ads and then no one could see I was it. Trying to, it's crazy. You know, it's that's crazy. Crazy. It's like, an embarrassment. Well, back to the media world. I mean, that, be careful what you wish for. I mean. The architecture right. of, you know, the pay television, you know, and the way games and live sports are delivered is obviously much more secure and more reliable than, you know, these over the top platforms. I mean, it, it's it's really difficult. Well, I mean, do, I bring this. You, I brought. Hold on, Rich. I brought. The, I bring this up all the time, and I'm sure people are sick of me bringing it up. But we had this meeting with the NFL, like I don't know how many years ago. Probably ten and, years ago now. And this I'm was guessing. their major concern in terms of doing rights with with over the top streamers is that they couldn't handle it, and CBS, you couldn't handle it. Get your app in gear. Do Do you think that? Do you think a streamer takes like we've predicted? Who I mean, obviously on our prediction, so it's public. We've predicted that Amazon takes Thursday night exclusively. I mean, obviously the NFL Network will have some of the games as well. But do you think that's crazy to believe, or do you think it sticks with a broadcaster? No, I think um, it definitely could happen. Whether it will or not, I don't know. I mean, it'll come down to the money, right? Typically, but yeah, yeah, I think that's where you could do some really cool stuff, right? With some of those. Uh, Set, you know, the interactive interactivity and the in sports betting. I mean, it's right in their wheelhouse. Uh, Joey, Chris, thank you for your time. This has been it's great. Nice. I hope everyone goes and tries it out. And um, we look to have you back on as the technology keeps rolling out. All right. Th- thanks for thanks. having us, guys. Really thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks care, for having guys. us. Bye. Thank you.